Finding Home is a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society. The Society is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to research, present, and preserve information about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy. Greetings. I'm Margaret Lynch of the Irish American Archives Society. Welcome to Finding Home. It's a podcast series about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. I spoke in an earlier episode about the Hibernian Guards, an all-Irish local militia company. The Hibernian Guards formed in about 1847. By 1849, two years later, they were at the center of Cleveland's St. Patrick's Day Parade. Militia companies, though largely ceremonial, did have a quasi-military aspect. As time moved along into the 1850s, the military element came to the forefront. Talk of a coming civil war was becoming more frequent. An 1854 recruitment ad for the Hibernian Guards referred to war as a certainty. The opening line of the Plain Dealer ad spoke of, and I quote, recruiting for the Irish company for the war, end quote. Folks were sure that civil war was coming, but not always sure how they felt about it. That ambivalence was magnified in Irish-born people. Big picture, there were Irish people living in both the North and the South in the 1850s. But there were demographic differences. Irish immigration to the southern states crested in the early 19th century before the famine. People of Irish descent who served in the Confederate Army were less likely to be born in Ireland themselves. Their parents or grandparents or even great-grandparents were the ones who immigrated. They were more likely to be so-called Scotch-Irish Protestants who had been part of the Ulster Plantation in the north of Ireland. They often became merchants or small landowners in the south. By contrast, famine immigrants, destitute Catholic peasants, predominated in the northern states. The nativist response to famine immigrants, often antagonistic, made many of the Irish feel unwelcome in the U.S., Many famine immigrants felt they were below the lowest rung of the economic ladder, and, rightly or wrongly, they feared competition for jobs from freed slaves. They associated the coming war with the nativist and Protestant Republican Party and tended to find the Democratic Party more welcoming to immigrants. They were more pro-union than anti-slavery. Cleveland immigrants undoubtedly resented that the city's wealthy could buy their way out of military service, but public expression of that resentment was relatively mild. A, quote, unruly, unquote, disturbance was noted in front of the draft office in Cleveland on one October afternoon in 1862, one afternoon. By contrast, an anti-draft riot in New York City raged for three full days in July of 1863. Newspapers blamed the Irish for the New York riots, by the way. Questions about the loyalty of Irish immigrants were raised in Cleveland newspapers, however. An individual was reported as casting aspersions on the loyalty of the Hibernian Guards, for instance. Even after the war began, a Cleveland newspaper reported that a group of Irish soldiers on the Confederate side had stopped fighting during one battle when a northern squad entered the fray waving a green flag. The reporter wondered if the reverse could happen. Could Irish soldiers from the north refuse to fight Irish soldiers from the south? But the reporter begrudgingly admitted that even though Irish immigrants, quote, 
opposed Abraham Lincoln and the Republican Party at the ballot box. After being defeated there, they drew their swords and staked their lives to sustain the legal rule of the very men against whom they voted. End quote. Many immigrant soldiers would presumably have agreed with the sentiments that Lieutenant Timothy Lynch conveyed in a letter written to his father during the war. I am not related to this Timothy Lynch, though I do have a brother by that name. This Timothy Lynch was the Irish-born great-uncle of Clevelander Pierce Mullally. Copies of Lynch's Civil War letters to his family are in the collection at the Western Reserve Historical Society. Reading from Timothy Lynch's letter to his father, and I quote, The only consolation left for the soldier is that he sacrifices his life for that which is dearer to him than all, which is the maintenance of a free and independent nation, whether he be native-born or foreign-born. The latter case is mine, and as experience has taught me to love the free and independent institutions of my adopted country, I deem it my duty, and that of all others, to enter into the same cause, to uphold this great and glorious republic, which has sustained us in our time of need. This is the conclusion I have come to as regards all adopted citizens. Consequently, they should all do their utmost to sustain the government in its present difficulties. End quote. Many Irish-born men agreed with Timothy Lynch that their life in America, however difficult, was better than their life had been in Ireland. 150,000 of them joined the Union Army. When the Confederate Army attacked Fort Sumter on April 12, 1861, 49 of Cleveland's Hibernian Guards volunteered for the Union War effort as a group. They were absorbed into Company B of the 8th Ohio Volunteer Infantry. Some of the volunteers were Hibernian Guard stalwarts. William Delaney and William Kinney had been St. Patrick's Day Parade Grand Marshals in Cleveland way back in 1842 before the famine, and each had done a stint as captain of the Hibernian Guards. They both became officers in Company B, Delaney as a lieutenant, Kinney as a captain. Others who volunteered with the Hibernian Guards in April 1861 were famine immigrants who had bounced around the eastern seaboard first and were more recent Cleveland arrivals. James K. O'Reilly, for instance, was returning from Sunday Mass when he saw news posters announcing the assault on Fort Sumter, South Carolina. O'Reilly, born in County Cork in 1838, came to Cleveland in 1858 via New York City, and he worked here as a stone carver. With two Irish friends in tow, James Butler and Thomas Galway, O'Reilly rushed that day to enlist at the armory of the Hibernian Guards. Company B of the Ohio 8th did not formally retain the name Hibernian Guards, nor was Company B part of the so-called Irish Brigade. Thomas Francis Maher, a sometime young Ireland hero and subsequently a brigadier general in the Union Army, organized the legendary Irish Brigade out of five companies from New York, Pennsylvania, and Massachusetts. Though not of that exalted group, the Hibernian Guards remembered their origins, as did Cleveland citizens. The Cleveland newspapers often included the name Hibernian Guards in notices of Company B and its members. William Delaney wrote a letter to the Plain Dealer, which was published in the paper on July 25, 1862. Identified as a Hibernian Guard and a lieutenant of Company B, Delaney stated that the men, quote, seem in high spirits, ready to renew the fight with the enemy, whenever they may be led to meet him, end quote. 
The Plain Dealer also published a letter that Hibernian Guides recruit Thomas Galway wrote to his parents requesting provisions, and I quote, You ask if I wish for anything. I have been for two months without a blanket, as the government has been unable to obtain them, but we are going to have them in a few days. Shoes or boots we cannot get. If you could send me a pair of heavy calf boots, size 7, and a blue cloth vest, it would be a great deal. I have no more at present, my dear parents, but remain your ever-affectionate son. End quote. The Cleveland Plain Dealer in this way invited Clevelanders to see the war through the eyes of Irish-born members of the Hibernian Guards. Assigned to the Army of the Potomac, Company B fought its first major battle at Winchester, Virginia versus Stonewall Jackson. Battles at Antietam, Fredericksburg, and many others followed. William Delaney was killed early on near Boonesboro, Virginia. His friend William Kinney fought in 40 battles. When Kinney mustered out after the fall of Richmond in July 1864, James K. O'Reilly succeeded Kinney as captain. Company B played a pivotal role in repelling Pickett's charge during the Battle of Gettysburg. James K. O'Reilly's great-grandson, Ken Callahan, has traced Company B's actions almost minute by minute through the several days of the battle. He has written about it for the Cleveland Plain Dealer and the Irish American News. Clevelander J.C. Sullivan has also written about the battle for the Ancient Order of Hibernians newsletters. Excerpts from the accounts of both Callahan and Sullivan are incorporated into files found in the Local History Resources section of our website at irisharchives.org. The Hibernian Guards could not claim every Irish-born Clevelander who fought in the Civil War. For instance, the Hibernian Guards recruiting officer, Patrick K. Walsh, often tagged as P.K. Walsh in the newspapers, mustered into Company B originally with his fellow Hibernian Guards but Walsh subsequently was instrumental in forming the 60th Ohio Irish Regiment and served out the rest of the war as captain of the 60th Ohio. Folks who joined later in the war mustered into other Ohio units as well, and many Irish-born folks came to Cleveland after the war who had served in regiments in other states. Civil War service was the defining and even transforming experience in many men's lives. James K. O'Reilly, for instance, was involved in various Irish activities in Cleveland after the war. But O'Reilly's identity as a Civil War veteran seems to have been his core passion. O'Reilly was chosen to lead a delegation of all of Cleveland's Civil War veterans, not just the Irish ones, when President Lincoln's funeral train arrived in the city on April 28, 1865. O'Reilly was justly proud of that distinction. Civil War veterans filled the ranks of Cleveland's police and fire departments, as both were reorganized after the war. William Kinney of Company B had been a tailor before the war, but afterward he took a leadership role in the city's police force. When Sergeant Kinney died unexpectedly in 1870, he was a sergeant in the police force. His plain dealer obituary highlighted his Civil War service and his Civil War title. And I quote, Captain Kinney was among the bravest, his position being always at the head of his men, and he seemed to know nothing of danger. End quote. Kinney's service as a police officer was also praised, but came second. And I quote, He was faithful in every particular, always ready for duty, was just to all and lenient or severe as the circumstances of the case warranted. We believe he had not one enemy, but we know that he had hosts of friends. His character was admired by all who knew him, 
but by none so much as those who knew him best. His word was truth itself. End quote. Very high praise. Michael Mulcahy was a veteran who joined the first company of paid firemen in Cleveland after the war. Though Mulcahy did not die until 1908, the focus of his obituary was also his Civil War record. He was, quote, the last survivor of the three aides who accompanied General Phil Sheridan on his famous ride to Winchester, end quote. Mulcahy enlisted in the 6th U.S. Cavalry and became one of General Sheridan's personal aides, riding with the general all night to rally the scattered troops and snatch victory from defeat. Civil War service could be a catalyst. Take the example of Martin A. Ferran. Ferran was born in Pennsylvania in 1844 to Irish-born parents. He served in Pennsylvania's 4th Cavalry Unit during the Civil War. When Ferran came to Cleveland after the war, he worked as a cooper, or barrel maker. But his Civil War experience had given Ferran a more expansive view of what he could accomplish. He became president of the Cooper's International Union and edited the Union's journal. When talk of reviving the Hibernian Guards threatened to alienate those who had not served in Company B originally, he founded instead the Emmett Guards, a local militia that was open to any Irish or Irish-American Civil War veteran. Labor and community activism led Ferran to study law. Admitted to the bar in 1874, he would serve over time as Cleveland prosecuting attorney, U.S. congressman, and Cuyahoga County Common Police Court judge. All the city's Civil War veterans, not just Irish ones, united behind the goal of creating a monument to Civil War soldiers. Irishman William J. Gleason was the foremost champion of the cause. Gleason was born in County Clare to parents Patrick and Margaret in about 1846. Fleeing the famine, the family stopped first in Vermont and made their way to Cleveland by 1850. Gleason was out on the streets hawking newspapers by the age of 11, and a few years later, at the start of the Civil War, he was working in the print composing room of the Cleveland Plain Dealer newspaper. Gleason bought a drum and tried to enlist in the Civil War as a drummer boy, but his parents dragged him home. Not quite 18, he finally snuck away in 1864 and served in the final year of the war with the 150th Ohio Volunteer Regiment. After the war, Gleason worked again for the plane dealer in several capacities, later becoming an insurance agent. He first proposed a commemorative monument to Civil War veterans in 1879, but 15 years would elapse before the monument's dedication in 1894. As it happened, the city's moneyed interests had been planning to extend Euclid Avenue through the southeast quadrant of Public Square. They wanted to cut a commercial streetcar line through the square. The southeast quadrant of Public Square was also the preferred site of the monument group, as it happened. Well, Gleason never gave up the fight, and the monument has been a fixture on the southeast quadrant of Public Square since 1894. Gleason, a prodigious multitasker, also worked with Patrick K. Walsh and other Irish-born Civil War veterans to support the nationhood of their native country. But that's a story for another day. For this day, I hope you'll remember the names of William Gleason, Patrick K. Walsh, James K. O'Reilly, William Delaney, and William Kinney. They were Irish-born Clevelanders who, along with such transplants as Michael Mulcahy and Martin Ferran, were willing to risk their lives to defend their new home. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Margaret Lynch. Have a great day. You've been listening to Finding Home, a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society of Cleveland. Find out more about the Society or get in touch at irisharchives.org.